Come on. You're listening to Combat Zone 360, where we discuss everything military. Today on our show, we're discussing PTSD. Our veteran today is David Lee, musician Jesse Blaze Snyder, and producer Michael Naranjo. Thank you for joining me, guys. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So what I like to do before we get started with everything is I want my listeners to know who they're listening to. So I'm going to start off with David and then Jesse and Michael, you'll close it out. But I want you guys to be able to tell your story, kind of like where you come from. Um, Did you play any sports in high school or growing up? Any clubs that you were in? Um, And then we'll go from there. So you're first, David. Didn't do much sports growing up. Uh, Did a little baseball, um, but discovered girls my sophomore year and just sports kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, Joined the military right out of high school. Uh, Served in the U.S. Army for 21 years, five months, 11 days, but who's counting? And um, I was a chaplain assistant for the first 14 years. Uh, Did tours in Bosnia, Afghanistan, and Iraq. And then uh, my last seven years was spent in recruitment, uh, part of the U.S. Army Recruiting Command. Now I'm retired. Um, I work as a workforce director here in uh, Shelby, North Carolina, and um, just enjoying life, my brother. Awesome. Jesse, if you could tell us a little bit about where you came from. Hey, guys, I'm Jesse Blaze Snyder. Uh, I am... uh a hyper overachieving workaholic jack of all trades i was a a geek athlete in high school uh reading comics playing role-playing games and um uh being the captain of the football team and playing lacrosse and uh, diving i was a gymnastics coach i'm actually a national champion semi-pro football player Uh, i got hit by a car when i was about 11 years old and the overachiever in me decided that nobody would ever find out about what happened. And um, I was ended up going to the hospital for a couple of stitches because uh, I got took off my bike by some good pedestrians, uh, you know, but um, I did not complain or say a word about what happened to me. And I got hit by a car by an SUV. I was riding from Parati to BMX that I used to do with my father. And um, I had a giant motorcycle helmet on the handlebar and got hit on my left side, did major damage to my legs, knee, everything, major damage to my shoulder. And of course, I was a little kid who just got hit by a car. And I pressed this moment of craziness down, like, no. And um, in my 30s, it started just like coming out of me, pain. And I realized that uh, playing football and playing all these sports, I was just masking pain that I had been experiencing my entire life. And um, past 10 years, I've been on the healing journey, figuring out what the hell was wrong with me, how I did this to myself. Uh, And, um, you know, uh, it's gone very much into my music and into so many of the things I talk about. I do a Twitch stream every week called the Live Stream of Consciousness with my good friend, Michael Zinn, uh, where I've been able to talk about some of these things. But it's very much related to PTSD. And I'm happy to be here to talk about it. Thank you. And then, Michael, if you can close us out with the introductions. Hi there. My name is uh, Michael Naranjo. I was uh, born to an Uruguayan mother and an Argentine father in uh, Rhodesia, 78, now Zimbabwe. Came to South Africa. Cut a long story short. 
Um, it was a, quite a tough upbringing with my mom. My dad was really close. We were very close uh, with each other. Um, I, I was involved in a lot of sport, a lot of rugby. I enjoyed basketball. Um, went overseas, came back. Um, I got married, got divorced. Um, <laughs> a lot of things in life happened. And uh, to cut a long story short, got signed. Uh, got the, you know, the deal, you know, in a band and... And then I, I was faced with a with an accident, being uh, hijacked and shot three times in a hijacking in South Africa. It happens basically every 14, 15 seconds. It's uh, quite a high rate in South Africa. And um, so that was quite crazy in 2009. And that's where everything stopped. Um, and I'm sure that the gentlemen that are all on the platform and everybody's watching when I say that it stopped, that's when it happened, uh, when, when PTSD kicked in without me knowing about it, what it was. Why would I react these ways? Um, I've fallen in love with a wonderful woman. Uh, God gave me four children from another marriage. Um, and growing up, I realized that there's something that's not really happening with me. I was, um, how do I say, I, I, I went, I was serious enough to look for help because uh, I couldn't lose my first love, um, which is my family the music, the, the relationships I have. And I had to go and find a way to, to function. It was uh, very difficult. This happened in 2009 with the shooting, my dad passing the way he did. My father was murdered. Um, and uh, that was two, 2013. A lot of things. Um, so born in myself, we've, we started uh, running something called the Reset Center. We just, you know, we just try and help people wherever, however we can with our giftings. If we were plumbers, we'd come do your plumbing at your place. Or, but I'm a, I'm a music producer. He's a concert promoter. He also does graphic design. But we also, you know, we run a, we run a tight ship with whatever we can do. Uh, and, and what's happened is that COVID has just brought a lot of these things to light, especially in these times, you know. Um, my heart goes out to everybody that's sitting with us. I'm a late bloomer. I only found out this about four months ago, and I realized that it was a degenerative situation, and I didn't want to do that. So I needed help to recover my my mind. I, I needed to scientifically do that. And through a lot of advice, people had told me about transcendental meditation and TM and what that does scientifically for your frontal lobe if it's a degenerative situation. So that, in an introduction, this is what we do. And we also incorporate music and do that sort of sort of thing to create awareness for PTSD. Yeah, we should add, you know, meditation was a big thing for me as well. I thought, I, I, was, I was terrified that I had the concussion disease that Chris Benoit had. You know, like Chris Benoit, the wrestler, he, he snapped and, and he hurt his whole family. Like, you know, it was very uncharacteristic according to, you know, so many people, but damage within the brain. And I would react sometimes so so darkly i'm just just not myself and and, and I, I i remember turning to meditation without telling anybody but as soon as i read that meditation had been shown to heal your brain i was quietly convinced that my brain was not doing well and i dug into meditation and when my brain got scanned uh i like i wasn't so scared i was still kind of scared to get my brain scanned but it was like six years later and when i got the scan back my scan had damage all over it 
but all of the damage was very faint. It was all healing. It was all going away. And the doctor said that if it was true what I was saying, that I'd been meditating as much as I had, he would he imagined that it would have been it would have been much worse if he'd seen my scans five years earlier. And I just started doing that because I was living in fear that something was wrong with my my mind. Yeah. Now, what I want to do is I want I want to talk to David a little bit. So, David, I, I know you you retired from the military. I know we served in Iraq together. When you entered the military, you know, what was your influence to do that? Well, I, I mean, my mom was working two jobs um, in, in, in her home country, and I was being watched over by a guardian. So she was working two jobs just to get me through high school. So that, that kind of told me that college was, was not going to be an option unless I, I went and got it myself. Um, so that's... <laughs> It's a funny story. My uh, my ex-girlfriend, I thought it'd be a joke to give the recruiter, now I'm dating myself a little bit here, give the recruiter my pager number or my beeper number. <laughs> and, um, so I see an odd number come up on my beeper and I, I, I called it back and it was an army recruiter and all he had to say was he was going to pay for my college. I was like, okay, sweet. I'll come in and talk. <laughs> um, it didn't take very long uh, for, for them to convince me and I joined uh, basically for the college money. And, um, and, you know, it gave me a little bit of direction as well. It, it was kind of like, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how college was going to be like, what I was going to study. Um, uh, and, and if I was going to go look for work or, or whatnot. So I just, it's like, all right, well, at least this is a path, you know? Yeah. So I jumped on that and, uh, and kind of just rolled with it. And, I enjoyed it to a certain extent and um, just got used to it. You, you know, you kind of get acclimated to that lifestyle and, and you just kept re-upping, re-enlisting, re-enlisting, looking for opportunities. And when you're in the military, you, you know, Jay, it's, it's like once you hit that eight-year eight mark, you're, you're kind of stuck. You're just like, man, I'm almost halfway there. I, I ain't going to get out now. Exactly. That's you know? I'm going to get that check, man. Right? I'm going to get that retirement check. I, 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 I ain't going to quit at eight. So once you hit that eight year mark, you're pretty much stuck. How does that work for somebody who doesn't, uh, who, who doesn't know that with like eight years or whatever? Cause do they, does it eat into what they pay for your college or whatever? No, well, no, not, not necessarily. So there's a few things. Uh, there's a few programs out there. There's a GI bill that pays for your college once you get out of the military. But while you're in, there's something called tuition assistance, which basically they pay for your college, uh, whatever you're doing during the time. So the whole time I was getting my education done in service, um, I got my associates, my bachelor's and my master's before I got out. Uh, Uncle Sam paid for the whole thing. And I was able to transfer my GI bill to, to my wife and my kids uh, for their education. So, so, you know, I was double dipping there. Um, but the whole eight year thing is this, when you hit 20 years in the military, you can retire. Now the rules are a little bit different now. They're doing some type of blended 401k style system, I think. But, um, essentially you hit 20 years, you can retire and you can start collecting a pension, right? The month after you get out. And so a lot of careerist soldiers like, uh, like me and Jay here, we, we, you know, that's something we aimed for. We aimed for that 20 years. And um, once you hit eight, you're kind of almost halfway there. A lot of people enlist that first enlistment for four years, and then they re-up for another four. So by the second time you're looking at re-enlisting, re you're sitting at seven or eight years, and it's hard to get out of something that you've already committed eight years to. 
after you've dedicated eight years of your life. And the good thing about it is because when every year the army gave us $4,500 to go to school that year. Yeah. So, and every year it reset to 4,500. So if you play it right, like um, David did, you can come out with your master's degree. Um, but then you also have the post 9-11 GI bill, which pays for four years tuition to any public school you choose, gives you a housing allowance, um, which allows you to pay for your um, housing and allows you to, to um, you get an extra thousand dollars a year to help pay for your books and everything as well. So the army takes care of you. The military does take care of you when it comes to college and getting your education. And that's one thing I really enjoyed about it. I mean, I, I gave my GI bill to my wife, you know, I, I got my degree while I was in school as well. So it, it, it helped out a lot, but David, as a um, chaplain's assistant, I know you dealt with a lot of individuals, a lot of soldiers coming in with PTSD and how were you guys able to help them out? Well, you know, we're coming in, uh, the responsibility of what's called the unit ministry team, uh, which is composed of, of me, the chaplain assistant, and a, a chaplain who's the clergy, it, is to not only be the um, religious service provider, uh, uh, the, the religious aspect, no matter what your religion is, uh, to be that conduit. They also look out for the soldier's morale and welfare and personal issues as well. Um, identification is the first thing that comes up. You know, um, it's it's not always apparent that you got soldiers that come in and see you, and they're they're not quite sure what's going on because PTSD. Um, yeah, it's mental a lot, but sometimes it develops into the physical. You know, starting off with I can't sleep, or or I sleep too much, or habits changing can't focus. It, it, it affects a lot of different things, a lot of different physical things as well. So um, I, on you know, doing much of the clerical and operational piece, um, the, the chaplain is the one that usually identifies all that, but we do see quite a bit. And it's not something reserved for just new soldiers, young soldiers. It, it's affects, it affects everybody. We've had, we've had colonels, sergeant majors, you know, medical doctors, you know, these medical doctors that have gone to school for so many years and you're, you're thinking they're the epitome of professionalism and, and everything. They struggle, too. You know, they've seen a lot of stuff out there. So. Uh, so, yeah, it runs the whole gamut. It, it doesn't, you know, affect just one group. It affects everybody. Oh, and thank you for informing everybody about that, because it does. And with your PTSD, how do you suffer from it? Well, so. Um, it's, it's, I, I, I go through phases where, where it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's a temper issue. I, I get short tempered, uh, things affect me more than it should. I get emotional about things about, uh, I get emotional, emotional about certain things, um, probably way more than I, I should be. And, um, I get irritated easily. And, and I, I say that, um, it's not happening as much anymore, and uh, and we'll probably dive into that later on. But um, going through therapy helps. Um, turning to to your support system helps. Uh, we'll probably talk more about that later. But for me, it was more of the, and it really came into effect 
um, that year after I retired, because they talk about transition uh, out of re- out of the military, like it's about finding a job or it's about finding your place. And a lot of it is that, but there's also this piece that they don't ever talk about. Pacing is different in the civilian sector. Uh, people operate different out here. The, their pace is different, and it takes a little while to get used. And I'm not saying the military way is the right way, you know, because I'm in the civilian sector now. And it took me a good whole year to kind of transition out of that whole military mode and, 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 and work at the pace of a, of a, a, a civilian's pace. Um, speak their language and, and kind of reintegrate into into society almost you know i don't want to compare it to like a prisoner being released or anything like that i don't think it's that something as severe as that but there is a tr- transition period it's not just about finding the job uh, i've dealt with that too right yeah, yeah it, it's it's something they don't talk about they don't talk about it when you're when you're retiring they don't talk about that they talk about hey how's your resume look you know, what can help you with your resume? Let me look at it. And let me fix you up a little. Right. How's your How's your VA pack? Did you get your VA rate? Yeah. They talk about all that stuff, but they don't talk about, hey, people are going to, you're going to be, you're the outsider here. You know, you're, you're going to have to reintegrate into this. You know, you, you're going to have to talk a different way and, and, and you're going to have to act a different way. And the pace is different. Exactly. And besides your 20 years, what made you get out of the military? It was time, man. It was absolutely time. Uh, I mean, did you ever do recruiting? Nine years. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm not sure if your listeners know. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's recruiting is a beast, as you know. Um, and it's probably more stressful than any of my deployments I've ever been on. Um, but the fact um, that last year and a half, when I was looking at the next promotion board, and they told me I had too much time in service. What that means is basically they, they weren't going to promote me anymore. That made my decision a lot, a lot easier. Uh, in fact, I was, I, was, um, I was ready to get out at 20 instead of going out to 21, but um, because I took a promotion, yeah. uh, I, I, had to, I had to serve out that additional three years that took me to 21 and five. Exactly. So um, I, was, I, was, I was anxious to get out. I was at that point. Um, it was just it. It was weird that you know, and you'll you'll you know this, and and a lot of our counterparts are like this too. We're anxious to get out, but when once we get out, we for that next year, we're kind of oh man, I miss it. You know, I miss I miss being I miss that structure. I miss all that. That's why you see a lot of our counterparts trying to latch on to the the last little bit of, of that of that uh, feeling when the best thing they can do is just kind of let it go and just kind of reintegrate. Agree. And uh, yeah. USA Warrior Stories is a nonprofit organization that interviews veterans and then turns their personal stories into individual documentaries. Please visit their website at usawarriors.org and donate today. If you are a veteran and would like to be interviewed, email USA Warrior Stories at Info at usawarriorstories.org. Also, follow them on Instagram at USA Warrior Stories, Twitter at USA Warrior Stories, and Facebook, hashtag USA Warrior Stories. So um, I, I want to get into a discussion with um, Jesse about 
his music and how his music really revolves around his heart and his, you know, how he feels with his PTSD. And, you know, the news was breaking, broken to you at the beginning of this podcast, before we started recording that, you know, two of your songs is going to be on Michael's album that revolves around PTSD. Now, could you talk a little bit about those two songs that are going to be on there and how they revolve around that? Well, one of the songs is called Help is Coming. And it, you know, ultimately it's about, it's about that, you know, it, it, it's just really at the end of the day, so much of them are for me, you know, like, because like, if I feel that, that I have a need for a certain encouragement, that makes me feel the need to add that sort of encouraging word to everybody's ear. And um, there was this feeling that I would have when I was having like, you know, panic attacks and um, where I, things just felt so hopeless to me. And I just wanted, I just wanted it to be done. You know, I just wanted just like, woof, like I'm ready to go. Like, let me go right now. Like just end this. This is too much for me and I'm good. Um, and, you know, when you, I, I was an atheist my whole beginning of my life, uh, but I ultimately became a big uh, believer in uh, medicine, um, and so much ancient medicine and ancient wisdom. And as I've gotten into meditation, I've realized how big your, the mental game is when it comes to, you know, life in general. But when you're suffering from post-traumatic stress, um, it doesn't matter how good you are about your inner talk with your brain. Uh, you will find yourself stricken and overcome by the same situation over and over again if you get triggered. And for me, it was a very simple trigger that happened because, like, I really love my mom, really believe in her taste and like her choices like if she says this i'm like probably a good reason i trust her so there were things that she said to me as a child that i took way way too hard and i you know and i hope my mom never hears this because I, I i don't want her to uh, feel bad about feel bad about it because it's <laughs> you know it is what it is you know you're a kid trying to honor your mother yeah and the experience that i had when i got hit by that car was that me being hit by a car would be a difficulty for my family, that I might have to go to the hospital, that they might have to pay bills that they couldn't afford, and that I was being a burden. And I am somebody, it's kind of stupid to say this about yourself, but I'm very noble. I, I really don't like things to be like, about me, like I know I, I seem to be that kind of person. I'm a musician, I'm a songwriter. You know, it just so happens that I have to get up on stage and perform my things. And I've gotten good at that because the people around me are very outgoing. But I'm more of a kind of quiet guy. And, and, I, and, and I'm not nature really a looking to make things about me. So when I write songs, I try to make them as universally important and connective as they and when I came to the spiritual understanding of really what's going on on the planet right now, and it's terrible, we, we, we know this, this is ancient knowledge. We are all representations of the polarized mind of God, polarized mind of the universe. And it is neither good nor bad. 
it is neither right nor wrong. It, it is always essentially right and wrong and always essentially good and bad. And we right now are taking our advice uh, in our pol- politics from the left and the right, which is the stupidest thing to do when you know that you're living in a polarized mind of God. We want the people in the middle with the big long beards who seem relatively calm and collected. We don't want all of the post-traumatic stress suffering crazy people on the left and the right, because I tell you what, that is who is there. Right. You know, people who are more self-aware like us are like, whoa, we're having a problem. I'm getting mad for no good reason. This needs to be, you know, this needs to be taken to a place. Now, when it comes to music, as I saw this, this imbalance in our society, I realized why I was so drawn to comic books. I've written for Marvel, I've written for DC, Disney, Pixar, all sorts of stuff. And I like comic books because they tend to be about the end of the world. Whether it's the end of an individual's world, they're about to be murdered or killed, or you know, the, the whole country's going to explode, the whole planet's going to explode. You know, Superman doesn't save us. Everything is done, and because we live in a polarized world, there is the most to learn from real hyper polarization. And when I did this album called Blacklight District a little while ago, uh, it was released as a comic book by Image Comics, and there's an EP. You can go online to blacklightdistrict.co, and you can listen and you can read still for free online. And the, the point of it was to connect this end-of-the-world music thing to the music. I'm like, I want my music to have the same stakes that the, um, the, the comic books have. And you know what I realized when I was doing that is that we are so noble that we don't want to say like like he, our, our friend was talking before about um not wanting to compare himself to a prisoner coming out of prison yeah. it's an absolutely wonderful comparison it's probably the comparison that gets most to the most of it because people are more aware of that and we're just trying to connect you to an understanding but people's nobility makes them go well i don't want to compare myself to some starving child and you know, uh, Nigeria over, you know, I've been eating, you know, it's been good for me in this way, it's been good for me in that way. But what that does is it stops us from properly acknowledging and connecting to our pain. And it's really a big deal when it comes to people like us, because I really believe post-traumatic stress sufferers are all kind of similar. We're people who are are trying to, uh, uh, no, 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 there's no time for that because that doesn't involve me helping the others and making the world better. If I take time to take care of myself, well, then who will be making the world a better place? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I'm used to trying to lead that charge. So, you know, and people who want to do good and in general do good, we tend to really leave ourselves in the dust in terms of taking care of ourselves. And I saw just in making that album, that I was leaving myself in the dust to a certain degree in terms of being honest, yeah. being honest about my music and being honest about who was, um, who was speaking and what he was saying and what he meant. And what I meant was I wanted to die. I was the most sad you could feel. And I was feeling tortured and it was awful and I hated it. 
like, and I realized that there was a part of me that didn't want to say that because I was like, well, you know, you're not in a prison somewhere. But if I can't say it, who's going to say it? You know, like, like the, the, the artists have to say that. We have to be able to connect to these places because it is a struggle for so many of us to connect to them. So, you know, every time I would go and I would start to kind of pull the punch and I'd be like, ah, oh, man, that's a bit weepy. That's a bit sad. That's a bit weak. I don't want to be so weak or I don't want to be so honest about that feeling. You know, I don't, I don't respect people who commit suicide. You know, like I have that feeling in me. But at the same time, I've wanted to die. I've wanted to die a lot more than I am comfortable saying. Like, like, and, and granted, I never would have done it. And it would make me so mad that I wanted to. Like, I'm like, I cannot believe this. Like, like, this is so not me. I'm powerful and I'm good and I'm positive. And I am not that right now. I'm not that in this moment. And I don't understand. And I hate it. And I just want it to stop because I'm, I'm not this. I'm not of this. I don't, I just want to be free of it. And, you know, I wrote the music, hopefully to help people be free of these feelings, because I came to understand that if you don't connect to these pains in a balanced way, if you never open yourself up to feeling what it is, you should have felt before and did not allow yourself to feel, it just, it doesn't go away. And you have to be able to touch it uh, and not fall apart, you know? And, and if you don't, your body will force you to face it. Your body will go, sorry, motherfucker. And you will just start having attacks and, and moments of time where you're like, I gotta get out of here. I need to go home. I need to lay on the ground. Like, like that drove me crazy. Being driven to the ground. I mean, like, seriously, it'll make me cry. Like, I haven't, I haven't done that in a while. But that used to make me so mad. I'm a powerful guy. And I had to go to the fucking ground and put my head on the ground and like, like a kid, like a child. And I didn't even know what I was doing. Like now I know that I was grounding myself. I was, I was trying to connect to Mother Earth because I was feeling so disconnected that I was flying all around and I had to go to the ground. It's just so awful because so many of the people that I know who suffer from this, they're just like me. They're protectors. They're people who want to help. And they want to do a good job. And in their private time, they're just stricken and hurt. And I think it's just because we don't want to waste time dealing with this frivolity that we think is just so, this is stupid. Yeah, I got shot. Yeah, I got hurt. It doesn't matter. It's all good. I, I, I just want to move ahead. But it's not, it's not that simple. We're, we're not allowed to just move ahead. We have to process it. We do. And I, I put these words and, and, and the extreme words and the, the reason why I believe it connects to so many vets is because I'm trying to process my post-traumatic stress that I caused myself by not 
being able to deeply acknowledge what I was feeling. And for every time that I went, no, 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 you're okay. When I wasn't, and I needed to face those things. And I wish that I had had this really the deeper strength to face these things when I was a kid with my mother, when it was more appropriate for me to be like, mom, I'm a kid and I'm hurt and I need a hug and I need you to put your arm on me and tell me that I'm okay because I'm in pain and I won't let myself feel it. You know, I didn't let myself feel it. And, and literally it's like to become an adult and have to be strong enough to be weak, you know, strong enough to be able to sit here and be able to cry, you know, because I know that anybody who's dealing with this knows what I'm fucking talking about. And it, and it's awful. And, and it's, it's something that we end up dealing with in private and, you know, we're the strongest people of the bunch and what we're handling in a way that is destroying us. And I believe we need, we need us. We need these strong uh, post-traumatic stress sufferers because we, we are the people who, if we can get through this, we have so much to offer. So many people, one of my good friends, shout out to Brian Burns, who is, uh, is you know, from the military. He had a really terrible time in the military. He ended up being raped by members of the military and was um, uh, really just thrown for a loop. I think he was so heartbroken that what he believed in hurt him, that it really like disconnected him from himself. And, and he ended up being put on all sorts of experimental drugs and all these different things. And this whole time that he's been going through this horrible experience, all I see him doing is trying to help other people, yeah. giving his money, all his money to all these people, like, because he's trying to save himself. Mm -hmm. And the only way he knows, like, he knows that being good is right. And, and we're right. You know, being a good guy, being strong, it's right. That's the right thing to do. You know, we're doing the right thing. But he doesn't know how to take care of himself. Right. And he's going, well, maybe if I just do more good, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll just do more good. Cause I know, I know on some level that's right. And that's what I'm supposed to do. And they tell you on this stupid airplane, you know, you put your mask on before you put your kid's mask on, because if in going to put your kid's mask on, you pass out, what good are you to your kid? What good are you to anybody else? Exactly. If in going to help somebody else, you fall into a terrible panic attack, yeah. you fall into a, 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 a depression that where you can't move. What good are you? And this is the point that we are bringing ourselves to. It is so awful. We, we, we are so rough with ourselves mm -hmm. that we bring ourselves all the way to this place where there is nothing for our bodies to do but start making us freak the hell out, out of our control, so that we might wake up and go, whoa, something is wrong here. Because I wouldn't have. You wouldn't have. None of us would have done anything about this. Mm -hmm unless it was a clear and present danger and we literally had to do it. I, I had to do it. I couldn't play with my children anymore. Yeah. And I said, oh my God, oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? I can't do, I have to fix this. I have to fix this. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you too. I mean, that's the main reason why I started this podcast and I started the show that we did, Combat Zone 360. And it, it's all because, you know, a lot of people aren't as talented as Jesse Blaze Snyder. They can't write songs and go out there and tell their story like you can. So this is a platform for them to come on and tell their stories, what they've dealt with, how they've overcame these obstacles, what they're still going through, and educate themselves on how to deal with it. And one thing I tell a lot of people is you set the, you, you set this, 
very smart thing about, you know, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And I tell that to everybody, anybody, if you can't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of others. And you need to focus on your own issues before you can handle anybody else's issues. And it's a huge thing that individuals need to overcome. And once you're able to overcome or not even overcome them, but at least tolerate and handle your issues, then you can help other people with their issues because you're going to be able to understand what they're going through. And, you know, what I want to do is for the listeners, you know, I know you talked a lot about carry me home. And I know you said it feels a lot, you know, like a lot of the veteran community can relate to this song because of the lyrics and what it means. So at this point, I want to play that song for them. And, you know, hopefully they enjoy it as much as you enjoyed writing it and as much as I enjoyed listening to it. Carry me home, carry me home. I can't go on, it's been dust till dawn. I know I'll never get there alone. Will do. 
Yeah, you know, I, as I got really, um, as I started to connect to meditation, um, music began to come out of me. And I was on the table um, getting a massage. And it was like my fifth um, session. And I, I hadn't figured out what was wrong with me yet. And the person told me they were going to work on my chest. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with my chest. I'd never had an injury to my chest. My chest is fine. He starts working on my chest and he is literally moving mountains. And I start to connect to what I have done to myself. And I mean, it took me a long time, but I can tell you that I convinced the school nurse not to tell my parents or put it on the medical record that I was testing a little bit for scoliosis. Oh, wow. I knew that it was going to take me out of football. Yeah. And I think I convinced her, cried to her, promised her that I would tell my parents about it in the future, whatever else. I didn't even remember it. <laughs> um, scoliosis was a huge, like, basically, I, I'm, the, I'm the fastest guy on the football field, you know, uh, you know when, it, when it matters. And um, I was running on one leg. My left foot was out. I, I couldn't put my weight on my run leg, one leg. I didn't realize that until I was 30. Mm -hmm. And when I got this working, you know, going on my chest, I came out of there and I wrote three songs in like succession and they just came out of me. And Carry Me Home was one of those songs where I was just like, there was a part of me that felt sort of weak in letting the feeling of it come out of me. And, when I, and I sort of wanted to reject it. Yeah. Um, and then I went, no, if you can't say, this is how you feel. And if you can't say this, and it's the same lesson of the Blacklight District, again, you know, when I was writing about the Hulk in this song that I wrote called Green, I realized that that just gave me an opportunity to say all the things that I really felt. And I finally said those things. And since then, you know, now I, I, I really am good about pulling forth these things. And so many of these things that have come to me, because of my nature and so many of the things that I've been going through, I've really kind of sabotaged my music career in lots of ways. And I am sitting on so much music. It's so unbelievable. And I'm really good. Mm -hmm. And the people who know, they know that I'm really good. But because of the ways I've sabotaged myself, it's a very small pool. And over the course of this past 10 years, as I have been connecting and understanding and really like writing these things it's it's broken my heart that i have not been able to connect with a larger group of people because there are so many people who need to hear the things that i'm trying to say um and uh i really am honored to be on the show in this capacity and i hope it does connect with people who need to hear that i'm sure it's going to definitely and you know i know we've talked and we we actually talked a lot in the past about the the music that you do and that you were not one of the musicians that really just did whatever because you didn't care to be light you know you did what was really near and dear to your heart and you were able to reach out to the fans that you do have because of what you felt in your heart and the that you put your life and soul behind your music and in all honesty I, I respect that way more when an artist puts their life and soul behind what they do compared to somebody that's just in it for the fame and glory, you know, so. I have no interest in fame. Only, <laughs> only respect. 
right? <laughs> and trust me, you got it. I mean, you got it by from me at least, you know, but it's like, that's why I enjoy listening to your music so much, you know, because it comes from Jesse Blaze Snyder and not from those producers and those record labels and those individuals that do that. Well, trust that I have a production team in my head. And, and the main thing with the production team is that, you know, and it's what I learned from, from my father. Uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, my father's D Snyder was the lead singer and main songwriter for Twisted Sister. Uh, he's a brilliant songwriter. And, um, and when he writes anthems, um, the universality of what he is able to communicate just always grabbed me so much. And, and his songs, people like to marginalize Twisted Sister as a one-hit wonder or whatever. Nonsense. They are, a, at the very least, a double mega-hit wonder. I want to rock it. We're not going to take it. It can be heard in stadiums around the world to this day, every freaking other day, all over the place. And there is a certain something when it comes to stadium songs. Stadium songs can be felt and understood by everybody. And no matter what I write, and I want everybody to understand this, I have never spent any time meandering in, in my backyard with few exceptions, there's a song that you're going to hear, Get Smart, which is a specific song to some of my personal journey. But generally yeah. speaking, across the board, and even the message of Get Smart is a broader message. You know, Get Smart was a, a song about me taking my power and, and, and not allowing myself to be collapsed by what I was feeling and, and about connecting to a higher source and getting wise to what was causing my pain. And it was a, a battle cry for others. Get wise to what's causing your pain. You're powerful. And, and there's, there's, another, there's a larger force. And they want you to know. They want you to, they want you to get the message that I've gotten, you know, to get smart and be strong. And, you know, don't be so humble. Be, be bold. Remember the lion. And don't just always be the lamb. Um, you know, and, and that has been the journey, just getting this 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 real message into the music and I, I again I, I so appreciate you being able to connect this to uh to an audience that i would love to have here and i know michael as well you know he and i that's how we bonded working on this stuff we've never met in person me and michael, michael <laughs> we've never met in person he's one of my best friends on the planet uh just lots of skypes <laughs> And text messages and we've written you know albums together um across the the internet you know from from love and passion and really connecting over this this uh mutual journey that you know i think we're all having and you guys said it earlier too about how we're all experiencing this uh you know with everybody everybody is experiencing versions of post-traumatic stress and it's the canaries in the coal mine the really extreme versions of it that should be bringing it forth to help the other ones who are having the extreme versions of it. But this is information as we figure out how to help ourselves, the whole world can heal from paying a little bit better attention to the things that have really hurt them, you know, being a little bit more open to uh, making sure they get their mask on before they put on their child's. And, you know, th this is the, the, the shrinking parents, you know, they're just like, doting on the other people and they whittle away to nothing. Like, you know, there are people who can take care of themselves and they last a long time. And we need to start 
teaching ourselves how to take care of ourselves emotionally, because that is the game. Please tune in next week for the rest of our discussion with Jesse Blaze Snyder, Michael Narajo, and David Lee.